0: Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities.
1: Hello, welcome to Parlor to Plate, a weekly podcast from Everag Insights dedicated to offering listeners enlightening discussion and actionable intelligence about dairy markets. I'm your host, Phil Plord. We're excited to have you along. If you enjoy the show, please like us, subscribe, and tell a friend or two. Okay, first things first, let's timestamp this episode. It's about 1 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday, June 14th. Today, kind of a risk-off day in a lot of these commodity markets. Block cheddar cheese, $1.39 per pound, down a penny and a half on the day to a new multi-year low. Barrel cheddar 152 and three quarters, down two and a quarter. The butter market did buck the trend and move a little higher today, 238.5, up three and a quarter. Nonfat dry milk, one sixteen and a quarter, up a quarter cent. In the grain markets, we have December corn around $5.48 per bushel, down three and a half. Soybeans trading close to unchanged at $12.39 in the November contract. And July soy meal down $7.50 at $390. Let's turn to our all-star panel. We're excited today to have Kevin Peterson, who works on our commercial risk management team. Ryan Yonkman, a leader of our producer risk management group and Mike North, president of Everag's producer division and a longtime grain market observer. Welcome, guys.
2: Good to be here with you, Phil.
1: As is the case every week, we'll start with what's the buzz, a little bit of talk about what's making the most noise in the areas we cover. Let's start with Ryan Yonkman today.
3: Well, Phil, although not very insightful, a lot of our buzz is when is this thing going to end? We have now bled into uh, several months of milk prices seemingly going straight lower and approaching levels now that have put dairies uh, very much deep into the red ink to the point of extremes where you're talking milk checks, not being able to cover feed costs. dairies losing six plus dollars a hundred and just a lot of uh, downers out there trying to figure out how much more pain
1: does this industry need to feel before this thing can get back on its feet. Yeah, we've been on some conference calls lately and that gets to be kind of quiet and semi-dreadful when we're talking about the producer landscape. It's, you know, we're, we're in downtown Payneville, don't know when we're gonna leave town, right? That's a fact.
3: And uh, even worse, if for some reason you're sitting in an unhedged position at this point in
1: the game. Kevin Peterson,
0: what about you? What's the buzz in your area? Oh, uh, over on the commercial side, it continues to really revolve around cheese. I mean, you've had butter trade sideways all year, non fat basically sideways for the last four months. Cheese is the only thing that's really seen some movement. We're getting a lot of chatter right now on that block barrel spread with barrels about, oh, call it 13 cents over the blocks now. Demand's pretty sluggish. You know, exports are struggling. And now on top of all that, I'd say about ninety percent of the cheese in the US is probably heading out of the facility at a loss with barrels being over that block. So that tends to be the focus right now.
1: No joy in Dairyville. <laughs> but Kevin, I mean, I think that from the commercial side, one of the struggles too, I mean, it looks good from a dairy farmer perspective to see October futures trading still at something higher than where we're at. But from a commercial standpoint, that forward curve has been a little bit tough to bite on, right? From a Deferred protection standpoint, they're like, hey, it's a dollar forty-five market today. Why do I want to pay a dollar eighty for coverage tomorrow? Is that something that something you've been encountering?
0: Yeah, yeah, the uh, forward curve is is very tough right now. I mean, I'm looking here with premiums. You probably got current class three at about fourteen dollars on a spot equivalent. I and mean, just to keep it, I guess, in class three here, yeah, October right around almost you know eighteen dollars. So if a four-dollar premium. Um, you know, if you're looking to get coverage out there, it's it's a real tough pill to swallow. And
1: we've never seen. June trade much more than 350, October more than 350 or so above June historically. So we used to call it the slope of hope, Ryan, but it's not too hopeful when 18 something is still below cost of production, right?
3: That's the exact problem. You look at that carry on its own and it looks like a gigantic opportunity for the dairies. But when we tie it back to our own financials, yeah, we're right back to protecting losses and that makes it tricky.
1: Mike, we have seen occasional relief for dairy farmers on the feed side of the equation. What's going on in the grain world, and what's the buzz in your area?
2: Well, um, you know, ultimately, I, I, I think as as we talk about grain in the context of Painville, like you referred to it, uh, it's uh, pulling into the station with a full head of steam, uh, just adding uh, more capacity to that pain discussion. Corn has been moving higher, and over the course of the last couple of weeks, uh, watched as new crop pricing has, has gone up nearly 60 cents, built entirely around weather. And as we talk about the forecast, there's some rain in the next five days that could help temper some of this conversation. But the general theme has been hot and dry through a big strip of the I states, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, and causing some concerns about development and potential yield as we work our way deeper into the season. The caveat is that it's still mid-June and key vegetative points haven't been reached by the crop. So many are slow to really jump on this. However, that hasn't stopped the funds from coming in and buying up corn and soybeans as these dry weather conditions
1: have persisted. But oddly enough, the funds are actually covering shorts, right? They're not necessarily going long.
2: They are a fickle crowd, yes. And as we've watched them, they moved from a long position that they held through the winter into a short position. And now they've been back on the buyer side, covering shorts and moving back into a less short, more long type of trade.
1: So over the weekend, there was forecast for rain. It rained in a lot of places, but not all at once, not steadily. I know in not a, a huge corn growing area, Dane County, Wisconsin, but yesterday it finally rained all day, but it was just sort of a light drizzle. But in Platteville, it rained on Monday night, but not on Tuesday. It's been really spotty, right?
2: It has been very spotty, but even among the spottiness, the totals have been still small A lot of people registering not more than a quarter of an inch in their rain gauge. And, you know, as we get through June, that will suffice for now. But as we get into July, if we're not starting to get ahead of that growing deficit of subsoil moisture, that's where we really start to build the case for a a real drought conversation.
3: But that's still weeks off.
1: And, And things would get definitely interesting in the dairy space if that happens. Right, Ryan?
3: No doubt. As much as we don't want to say what happens in grains control our fate, it's all eyes on grains right now with what milk is doing. All
1: right, guys. Let's turn to our center of the plate segment where we kick around one topic. I thought it'd be interesting this week to talk about we've all been in the Risk Management game for a few years, some of us for several years, working with clients. And I thought it'd be fun to share our thoughts about the best risk managers that we've worked with over the years, and some of their traits. So I would say, for example, the best risk managers that I've worked with historically have treated price as part of the daily conversation. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to pick up markets on Tuesday mornings between 10 and noon, and then we're going to worry about other things the rest of the week. They make price and markets central to their day, if you will. So I've noticed that as a best practice among my clients historically. I'd be curious, Mike, over the years, what do you see the best risk managers doing?
2: They never let the feelings of the moment cloud the vision and the necessary actions for the future. It's really, really easy to get comfortable in good markets and forget that those leave you in time for worse ones. And simultaneously, when you're in the midst of worse and feeling like markets are only getting worse, it's 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 really really easy to get trapped in this concept of there's nothing to do there's no way out there is no hope and i think that's uh, that's a big trap so the best risk managers don't get caught in it
1: yeah people used to ask well you know when's the best time to sell milk and i would say when prices are high and that sounds dumb and easy but you know i think it's more about you need to be thinking about selling milk when prices are high when times are good to your point mike it's you know when you see $25 milk that's the time to start thinking about, you know, not, hey, justice has finally arrived and, and the good times are here, but maybe start thinking about, oh, what if this doesn't last, right? Yeah.
2: And on the flip side of that, you know, as we spent a good many months here this winter and spring talking about the, the future value of milk in Q3 and Q4, it wasn't a really great price when you put it through the filter of where the current feed costs were. But if you give room for the possibility that feed prices could collapse, then ultimately it changes your view and, and, and how you come to the market. And you know, even as we talk separately with guys about feed, you know, these are parts of the conversation and being able to uncouple some of those pieces and be proactive looking forward. You know, it, it requires someone who's,
1: who's not just living in the moment, but thinking about tomorrow. Ryan, you work with a lot of dairy producers across the United States. Uh, what do you see the best risk managers doing? I think two
3: things really come to mind. and One is consistency uh, and not consistently being three months out in front of you, but consistently being six, nine, 12 months hedged out in front. You know, our greatest risk is always the furthest out there. You know, The further we go, the less we know. That's where the risk is. But then also opening up the playbook. Now, this is not true for everybody, but I think for some of the more successful hedgers we work with, uh, they've got an open playbook, which means, hey, it's not just DRP. It's not just sell milk. It's not just buy puts. It's depending on the marketplace. As you said, when milk prices are high, maybe the right deal is truly just to sell forward. Uh, in a tricky situation like we're in now, the answer probably isn't do nothing. It's probably use options. And so open playbook, knowing how to use all the different strategies, I think is very useful, very helpful in different markets. And then I think the last thing, this is kind of core to anything we do is understanding where your risk is, whether that's how your milk check actually works or financially how you're set up, how leveraged you are, what does your banker need to see? I think tying all those things together ultimately kind of can create a
1: successful uh, hedger, if you will. The further you go, the less you know. I'm gonna write that down. I I like the things that rhyme, I can remember them. But the other thing too, I wonder about is, are some of our better risk managers dynamic as they, you know, right, so today you do this, but that doesn't necessarily mean you never look at it again, right?
3: Yeah, no doubt. We call it hedging the hedge, right? Or managing the position. And again, for some, uh, that's something they don't want to touch. But for many of our successful ones, these are kind of assets in a way. Once these hedges are on, we just don't forget about them. In an example like this current market, we've got a lot of hedges that have a lot of equity in them for these dairies. Those are things we look at and there's ways to manage that, ways to roll coverage down, a way to make those gains real before it even comes to fruition. So Part of that is very much our job, but a lot of that comes from the customers also being aware of that, understanding that. And I think it's a a good attribute to a successful uh, risk manager.
1: Kevin Peterson, what about yourself? What have you observed among the better risk managers?
0: Yeah, well, Yonkman stole all my thunder there, but, you know, definitely truly understanding your risk. You know, if you look at maybe a dairy producer or an end user... Understanding that risk could be a little easier um, when you go into a you know a dairy processor. Sometimes it gets you know very difficult to truly understand what risk they might hold. And then you know some of the things I've seen too is you know kind of treat every day as a new one. You know look at the market with differing or you know different changing opinions, but also look at the position you have on. And you know if you don't like it, like Jonkman says, you know you can always hedge your hedge and try to protect what you have on the books, or get out of something that you're not very fond of anymore. What about
1: understanding your objective. I mean, what are we really trying to do here, Kevin? Right. Is that one of them too? I see, I noticed that in commercial circles myself, like, Hey, are we hedging to, to protect a menu price? And that's what matters most. Are we hedging to be quote unquote, right? I mean, understanding the objective I'm guessing has to be an important determinant of
0: success. Yes. Yeah. I I would absolutely agree with that as well. One other thing, I think as Yonk says, you know, the further out you go, the less you know. I think we might start to see some of that, you know, maybe come to fruition here in the back part of this year. You know, obviously that futures curve remains, you know, very, very high compared to spot right now. But we had May milk checks go out, June will be going out pretty soon. I was playing around and vault earlier today. This June's going to be in the bottom 10% of the last 10 years, historically speaking. So, you know, a, a shocker to the farmers for sure. And, you know, we could see milk production kind of start to come off because of that. When maybe spot does come up and meet these futures. You know, obviously, we'll just have to to wait and see how it plays out.
1: Well, if the best time to sell when, is when prices are high, you know, the best time to buy is probably when prices are low, right? I mean, if you think about <laughs> yeah. what happens when this turns around, right, Kevin?
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, obviously, it's, it's easy to, make, you know, for end users to buy spot right now. But yeah, with that uh, futures curve, it's still tough to go out there. Yeah, we'll just we'll see what happens.
1: All right, that's about it for today's show. Thanks to our panelists, Kevin, Ryan, and Mike. Thanks, as always, to Paige Driscoll, our master media person, for making us all sound good. And thanks to you, our listeners. Once again, if you like the show, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. I invite you to check out the new online portal at Insights.Ever.IAG. There you can find all of our publications and our shows like this one. We're also celebrating June Dairy Month by offering a trial subscription to some of our publications. If you are interested, contact us at insights.ever.ag.